This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. We're going to be in Mark 13 today, and uh, we are going to tackle the entire chapter. Um, so get get ready. This is a chapter I would have gladly skipped. Um, because it's got all kinds of interpretations, and I'm like, what does that mean? And as I read and studied, apparently everyone else says the same thing. I read like, I don't know, 20 different, you know, 20 different thoughts on this verse, and there were 20 different interpretations. It was just kind of like, all right, cool, 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 cool. So we don't have a firm answer um, on, on what exactly Jesus is meaning here, which is okay. We're, we're human, right? There's a knowledge gap. There's going to be some some, some difference, some misunderstanding. This is one of those topics, too, that uh, we would probably call like a secondary issue, right? Some things we hold tightly to um, that are, are foundational to our faith, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus lived perfectly, that he died on the cross for our sins, and in his resurrection, he is alive today, offering us new and eternal life with him, right? Those are things that if you, if you say like, I don't know about that, you, you change our faith holistically, right? Um, the interpretation of, well, was Jesus talking about the end times or, or something different here, right? Those don't necessarily change our faith. So there's, it, it's, it's an issue where we can have a different perspective and yet still walk united behind Jesus, right? We can have a different interpretation and still be united as followers of, of Christ. And so um, Mark 13 is one of those chapters that uh, is, is there's multiple interpretations, um, and, and so I, I would have gladly skipped over it because it's just not the easiest to teach um, and, and apply, uh, but, but that's, that's not how we're going to do things, and so we're going to um, have ambiguity together, right? We'll both be in the same boat of like, I don't know maybe what this means, but we'll do it together. Uh, so I, I was looking around on the internet last night for some good, uh, you, had, you, had, you know, the, like you had one job, like that, those memes, right, where it's like, Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I got sidetracked by this other, this other photo that popped up uh, that I thought was really applicable. Um, so there's this guy who got a job, and on his second day at work, falls asleep on the job. And so what do his coworkers do? <laughs> you take a picture, right? Like, that's what you do when someone's falling asleep. And so we have the picture here, right? He's just passed out, uh, and they've gathered around and, and snapped a photo, as every good coworker should. If your coworker falls asleep, this is what you should do, right? It's only appropriate. But, but not only that, then someone who's, you know, crafty with the Photoshop just started running with it, right? And so there's multiple, multiple photos of, of this dude sleeping, just photoshopped in. That, that might be my favorite, is the, the Leo Titanic. Um, right? And so, I mean, it's, there was probably like two dozen of these photos on the internet. I'm like, dude, this guy falls asleep on the job and is the butt of the joke for, I don't know how long, but some random dude in Austin, Texas finds it, and it's like, man, we're still running with this, right? So the moral of the story is stay awake, okay? That's your job. Be alert. Do your job. Um, otherwise, you're going you're gonna to end up as a meme and just, you know, blasting the internet for who knows how long. Once it's on the, the, the interwebs, I mean, it's there forever, right? You can find that stuff forever. Um, that, that's the type of thing, right? When I'm, when I'm, you know, thinking of hiring someone, I go search, and I'm like, Okay, I see, I see who we got here. Um, 
So the moral of the story, stay awake, be alert, do your job, right? That's what this guy needs to learn. And, and that's what I believe Jesus is getting at in Mark 13, right? Stay awake, be alert, do your job. Stay awake, be alert, faithfully do your job. Be obedient. Um, and, and so we're going to go through the whole chapter. We're not going to go through verse by verse by verse by verse because honestly, we, we could, there were so many interpretations on this chapter. We could take two verses and do like a whole series on it um, because literally there's so many different interpretations. Uh, and so we're just going to, we're going to try to step back and say, okay, God, what, what's the big picture you're trying to communicate here? And as we do that, I, I think you'll start to see some repeated phrases. And when you see repetition, that's oftentimes what the, the biblical author is trying to draw our attention to. Right? It, it's, the, it's the treasure that he wants us to pull out of this. So let's start in Mark 13. Now remember, Jesus has just wrapped up um, multiple conversations within the temple with the, the various religious leaders who are trying to trap him and discount him, and none of them can. And Jesus concludes these conversations, and it says, verse 1, As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So they're leaving the temple, and one of the disciples is like, Jesus, like, look at these incredible stones. And, and if you've never been to Israel, I say that like I've been there. If, if like me, you've never been to Israel, um, the, there's still the stones. I should have grabbed one of these photos, dadgum. Um, like, you can still see the stones from Herod's temple. And some of the base foundation of stones weighed thousands and thousands of pounds, um, it, it was considered one of the wonders of the world because no one really knew how Herod got these stones in place, right? They, did, they didn't have the technology that we have today, the, the multiple cranes that could work together to move it. And so it was considered one of the wonders of the world. And so they're genuinely like, gosh, Jesus, look at this building. Like, look at these stones. Um, and, and it was miraculous, and Jesus replies and says, not one of these will remain. They're all, it's, it's, it, it's gonna crumble. These walls, this temple, everything is going to crumble, which would be a, a remarkable feat. I could just say a, a, cata, a cataclysmic account of these stones, these walls crumbling. Now, the, the disciples weren't incredibly stunned by this. Like, perhaps they were stunned by it, but they, they also weren't because they fully believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? They fully believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, the Christ, the promised one who would come and, and bring in a new day, a new age for Israel. They believed that Jesus was going to lead Israel into a new age and a new reign with Jesus as king, right? And so naturally, if Jesus is going to come in and usher in a new kingdom, well, we've all seen some version of one kingdom overthrowing another. That comes with some turmoil, 
That comes with, I gotta, I gotta take out this fortress in order to then assert my power and dominance. And so they're thinking of Jesus as this military leader who's going to come in and he's going to overthrow Rome and overthrow the, the Jewish leaders who were doing things wrong. And, and yeah, that may come with a massive battle that involves the destruction of the temple. But they were fully anticipating Jesus is the Messiah who's going to lead Israel into a new age and a new day. Right? You, you with me here? They're, they're thinking of Jesus as that military leader. And so when he's like, man, this temple's gonna be destroyed, they're probably thinking collateral damage. Yeah, it's gonna happen with an epic battle. Of course. Makes sense. And so they follow up with this question. As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Like they're just... It's like, you know, in Acts 1, after Jesus was resurrected and was about to ascend to heaven, it, it says that he gathered up with his disciples. I don't think I gave you this slide, Claire. Um, it's Acts 1, verse, uh, verse 6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Right, that's what they're thinking. Will you at this time come and restore? Is it, when, Jesus... Okay, you're, you're telling us that you are going to reassert us in power and in prominence. When? When is the temple going to crumble? Like, when are these stones going to be thrown down? Because that's when we know, boom, we're on top. Like, we're here. We've arrived. We've made it. So that is what they're coming into this conversation with. And now we're going to read a lot of verses together. And, and, then, and then we'll kind of talk about it. The, the two differing thoughts as we go into this. And, and I couldn't tell you where I land. I can see both sides really well. One thought is that when Jesus responds, he is responding to this specific question from these specific disciples. And he's telling them when, like here's how you look for the temple, the, the, the coming of the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 A.D., the, the Roman general Titus comes in in 70 AD, roughly 10 to 20 years after Mark is written, and destroys the temple. Like, the, the rubble is still there today. The stones that are piled on top of each other. Right, so many people read what Jesus is about to say and say, oh, Jesus is prophesying of that event. When Titus comes in and destroys the temple, Others read it and go, no, no, Jesus is prophesying about the end times. When, when he will return in power and glory to completely remove evil and bring in his new eternal kingdom. I can honestly see both sides of it. At first glance, and one of the best ways to interpret the Bible is what is the simplest, most obvious interpretation Right, if you're having to like do cartwheels and somersaults to come up with an interpretation, it's probably not accurate. But like, what is the most, what, what makes the most sense? And, and it just seems like Jesus is answering their question. But then there's definitely some verses where you're like, that hasn't happened yet. What do we do with this? 
So let's read it. We can talk about it some, but then we're going to drive in on really the point that Jesus is getting at, which I'll give you the, the heads up now. The point is don't obsess about the future. Be alert, stay awake, and be obedient today. That's the point Jesus is ultimately getting at. So they asked the question, Jesus, when is this going to happen? Verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. The, the Greek word there, see that no one, like see is blepo, right? It means be alert, be on watch, be on guard, stay on your toes, keep your eyes open. See that no one leads you astray. That's the first time of four times that we're going to hear that verb said in this chapter. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Again, is he talking about around 70 AD? Or is he talking about a future date that we haven't encountered yet even? I, I can see both I can see both sides. But be on your guard. Blepo, same verb. Be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee, flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray. If possible, the elect, here's our verb again, but be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days... After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch comes tender, becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, 
This generation, generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We'll stop there. We'll finish in just a minute. What is he talking about? Great question. If you, if you know the answer, I would, lo- I would love to know it. Um, but again, I can see both sides. Is Jesus directly answering these disciples? He speaks of like, you, this generation will not pass away until these things end. Right? He speaks to them of the tribulation that, that will come, of the suffering that will take place, to them of the false prophets that will try to lead them astray. Right, so is he speaking of this coming attack that comes in 70 AD by the Roman general Titus? In that time, you got the potential abomination of desolation where this Roman general rolls into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and destroys it like it's nothing. Right, where it's an abomination to what they have believed to be true of the temple, and he treats it like it's nothing and just destroys it. It's a factual historical event. In that time, there's a great persecution among Jews. Many people were fleeing Jerusalem and Judea, were, were running to the mountains to escape. They were living as refugees. Right, so I can see how Jesus is speaking of that event, how he's literally answering their question of when this will come. But I can also see that there wasn't the, the cosmic, you know, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and stars will be falling, right? That, that didn't happen, at least not in a literal sense, right? With the, the abomination of desolation could be what is referenced in 2 Thessalonians, right? So over in 2 Thessalonians, we've got this. Starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together to him, right? So we're talking about the end times when the world as we know it comes to an end because Jesus the King returns to earth and destroys all evil and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. We're talking about the, the end of life as we know it. So the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, right? A false teacher or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, right? Similar language. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming to be God himself. Right, so we also see in the New Testament this prophecy of a coming day that Jesus will return. He will return to this earth and he will bring in the end. And for those who are his, he will gather to himself. And for those who have not trusted him will be in opposition to him soon to face their eternal end. Right, that day is coming. 
But before that day comes, there will be a man of lawlessness, a man of destruction, who will seat himself in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. So is Jesus in Mark 13 talking about that as the abomination of desolation? Or is he talking about Titus in AD 70? This is where there are many interpretations of Mark 13. But this is where we can, we can miss the point. We can miss the point. Because the point is not to obsess about the future. The point from Jesus is to be alert, to stay awake, to endure in the present no matter what comes forward, no matter what persecution or tribulation arises, no matter what false teacher comes and tries to lead astray, the point of Jesus is, yes, in this life you will face tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Be alert, stay awake, be obedient today. Perhaps Jesus was speaking of both. Perhaps he was speaking of A.D. 70 and the future end days. Perhaps he was was speaking of the kingdom of God. The new age has come in Jesus, but it's not yet complete until he returns. Perhaps there was confusion left on, on, on purpose intentionally so that we would catch the point and not get too bogged down with trying to decipher the future. What we don't have here is Jesus is not trying to leave us clues, pieces of a puzzle, that he's like, hey, grab the pieces of the puzzle and put it together. It's not Jesus' aim here. And it's oftentimes how people read this, how we read passages about the end times. We want to we write series of books about it, right? We want to we make movies, or we want to talk about, like, oh, what could it be? Oh, man, was, was, is the Apache helicopter right? Does that mean, is that like one of the, the, the bees, or was that like, we want to try to put all these things together so that we can say, Jesus is coming back on this day, or this day, or this day, or this day, right? And we want to figure all that out, and we get so focused, we're trying to decipher this code that we lose focus of today. And that's Jesus's point. Mark 13, 32 through 37 kind of gives us a good conclusion of this discussion that Jesus has. He says, right, concerning that day or that hour, Concerning that day or that hour, whether it's 70 AD or whether it's a future year that we have not even encountered yet, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So the disciples are like, Jesus, tell us when that day's coming. And Jesus says, hey, here's some signs, here's some things to look for. At the end of the day, though, I don't even know, right? That Jesus the Son has submitted that knowledge to the Father and has said, hey, the Father's got this under control and if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. I don't even know what to tell you. That's not the focus. Knowing the day and the hour of of when all this is going to happen is not the focus. What is the focus? 
he tells us in the very next verse. Be on guard, keep awake. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to read a book and do a study and, you know, figure out, is this war? Is this the one he's talking about? Oh my gosh, the the moon was a a reddish hue. Is it talking about this? Oh, this happened. Could that be it? Oh man, all of these things are coming together in these political people and that could be the Antichrist. And no, he's the Antichrist. No, she's the Antichrist. And they're all focused on that. And Jesus is like, I don't even know the day and hour. Be on guard and be awake. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Jesus is that man. He's gone on a journey, right? He's coming back, and he says, in the meantime, do your job and stay awake. I'm coming back. You don't know when, but in the meantime, do your job and stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Are we seeing a theme here? Are we seeing the theme of what Jesus ultimately is repeating throughout this discourse? Be alert, stay awake, do your job. You do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be alert, stay awake. Do your job. Faithfully obey. In this discussion, that is the steady theme of it all. The first command is to be alert. Keep your eyes open to what is true. Why would Jesus tell us that? Because there's, there's going to be false prophets that come in and try to lead you astray. There's going to be tribulation that tries to distract you. Why is Jesus telling me and you to be alert, keep our eyes open on what is true? Because there is a real enemy that in this exact moment, today, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is hell-bent against the glory of God. And since he can't actually defeat God, his aim is to go at anything and anyone that brings glory to God. Well, What brings God the most glory? Us. You and I have the greatest potential to glorify God, right? When we stand up here and sing, like Charlie said, it is an opportunity to glorify God. We don't show up here because it makes us feel good. We show up because it's an opportunity with our family to glorify God. It's an opportunity to build one another up to greater glorify God. It matters when you're here. It matters when you're here to God's glory and because your presence builds others up so that they too can glorify God. Right, when, when, what are we communicating to people? Can you remember the first time you walked into a church? It may be today. Like, this may be the first time you've walked into this church. Try to remember back to the first time you walked into this church or another church. You are naturally drawing conclusions. You have expectations of what it's going to be like because we all do, and then we're drawing conclusions. And we may be drawing conclusions about the church, but really we're drawing conclusions about what this church says about the God they say to worship. 
Or what, what message are we communicating about the glory of God in our worship? That he's sleepy and ho-hum and like, I don't know, whatever. Or like, we communicating that this God is real and he's transformed our lives. Or we're, we're to be alert because the enemy wants to distract us from what really matters, and that's worshiping and honoring God with our lives. One of the biggest, if not the biggest challenge for us in this country, it's not persecution, it's not tribulation, it's distraction. It is dadgum distraction. The reason we can't see God clearly or hear his voice is not because God is not God and not present, it's because we filled 98% of our lives with distraction. How are we gonna hear the voice of God when all I hear is music or YouTube or Netflix or this person or that person or Sixth Street or Barton Springs or whatever, right? And not that those things are necessarily bad, but we've just become distracted. And Jesus is like, yes, yeah, stay alert because there's an enemy that wants to distract you. It's gonna fill your lives and more often than not, not with bad things, but with good things that are just less than God and we get distracted with it. We have to make that choice to be alert, to push away the distractions and to keep our minds on things above. Because the enemy wants to destroy. He's gonna distract us. He's going to deceive us. He's going to bring in false messages that, that start to sound pretty good. I'm my own person. I can choose my own truth. If I feel this way, then it must be good. If I'm not hurting someone else, then it must be good. Right? It's a little compromise. It's not, it's not no big deal. Right? God's holding out on me, right? So he wants to deceive us with these messages and distract us. And Jesus is repeatedly saying that no matter what false teacher is coming in, false message, no matter what tribulation, no matter what persecution, no matter what abomination of desolation, be alert, stay on guard. Keep your eyes focused on what is true because when you take your eyes off of that, then you've fallen into the temptation and deception of the enemy and his aim is to steal, kill, and destroy from you so that we cannot glorify God as much. Be alert. Be alert. Do not be distracted by the shiny things of the world. It will destroy. And it may not be right away, but it will. And so Jesus says, hey boys, don't focus on that. Be alert. Keep your eyes focused on truth. The next thing he says is stay awake. These, these verbs are very similar, but they're different. This has more of a meaning of, of endurance. Right? He says that in, was it verse 13, I think? The one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? It's one thing to be alert. It's another thing to stay awake and continue to be alert. Right? To endure. There, there's oftentimes two reasons why we can fall asleep. 
right? One is exhaustion. Like we can just get worn down and beat up and we're like, screw it, I'm done. And we, we fall asleep. We stop enduring. Another reason is by boredom. We can just get lazy and complacent and bored. We just fall asleep. We're no longer vigilant. I played baseball a lot growing up. Anybody else play baseball? Baseball fans? It's a long season, y'all. Baseball's thought by some to be kind of a boring game. Blake would disagree. It's not, not at all the case. But, but, but it's like, man, you, you, you kidding me? Like four hours? The, the Aggies played yesterday? Gig them, right? No? Okay, all right. There we go. We got a couple. They played yesterday for the SEC West Championship against Ole Miss baseball. Two and a half hours later, three innings in. Come on, y'all. That is tough. Yeah, yeah. I get that face, man. It's like, what are we doing? Right, so it can be kind of, you can kind of lull you to sleep a little bit. I remember as, as playing baseball that our coach would often yell at us, hey, stay awake out there. And there were two reasons that as a defender, we would go to sleep. Now, come on, you, we're not asleep. Like, I didn't lay down out in the field, right? And be like, I'm going to take a little nap here, you know? But they're like, stay awake out there, right? They were, stay on your toes, be alert, be in the game. So there's two reasons why we would, you know, go to sleep. One is we were just bored, right? If you're in Little League, nine out of ten batters are right-handed, right? No Little Leaguers, like, going opposite field to right field, ever, right? So if you're the coach and you're like, oh my gosh, this kid couldn't catch a ball if you put it in his glove, right? Put him in right field because nothing's going out there. And so you're just sitting there and what happens, man? It's kind of like getting bored. You're like, I don't know, right? I mean, go to sleep until boom, balls hit right past your head. Other team wins. Your life is ruined forever, Right, but, but, but we can just get, you know, lulled to sleep. And that's another tactic of the enemy is just to bore us and to lull us to sleep, right? The enemy's not going to come in and just be like, boom, to destroy your life. He's going to come in just smooth talking. Hey, how are things? Good, 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 great, great, great. Hey, let's just go right there. Okay, good, good. And then we just step right there. Oh, it's nice, right? Hey, just go over there. Okay. Like that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's what the enemy is going to do. That's what the devil wants to do. All right, if he just walks in with a sign, he's like, "Hey, take this step," and, and you're on a path to total destruction. Like, no, no one's going to do that. But if he just lulls us to sleep, well, this isn't actually sin. Sin is over there. This is just—it's a little gray. You know, I think it's light gray even. It's not even dark gray. And then it's a little bit more. This is like, I don't know, the middle shade of gray. There's 50 of them apparently. I didn't write that. I'm sorry. That. No, you. This is why you can't leave, Mike. I need, I need some, I need some uh, what are those things called? Filters. I need a filter in my life. We'll edit this out. We'll edit this out. Um, that's just where it's like, it beeps out in the. the Oh, gosh. 
Look, it's just a, it's a book, right? It's out there, it's fine. But that's it, that's it, right? Like the devil, that, the devil just wants to lull us to sleep. Right, just kind of. So Jesus is like, no, no, stay awake, stay alert, see what is happening around you. Or sometimes, right, life is just hard. And, and, and it's, there, there's persecution and tribulation and we're just gonna be like, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm gonna go grab hold of something that just seems like an instant gratification. Yeah, it's a fleeting pleasure of sin, but I, I would like to even have the fleeting pleasure for now. And so just, just screw it, I'm just going for it, right? And those are just, those, Jesus like, no, 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 stay awake. Like those are not gonna end well. Don't, don't get lulled to sleep. Don't, don't gradually compromise because it's not gonna end well. Don't just throw in the towel because the persecution is too much. He's like, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. I'm telling you these things ahead of time. Be alert, stay awake, and faithfully obey because you never know when Jesus is returning. And you don't want Jesus to return and be caught having drifted away. It's not that we're going to lose our salvation. I just, I just feel like, man, we're, we, don't, we don't want Jesus to return and find us being disobedient, finding, find us asleep. I remember in, in high school, um, girls, if y'all can just cover your ears for a second, that'd be great. Um, in high school, Stephanie and I were, were kissing um, in, in my room upstairs. Um, I, I may have been in college, you may have been in high school, I don't really remember exactly, but um, we were not wed. Um, and we were, we were kissing um, prolongedly, perhaps. Um, and uh, <laughs> cover your ears, girls. Um, and thanks, Mikhail's like, I don't want to hear this, stop it. Um, and, and, and my dad walked in and he just kind of stood in the doorway and was like, dinner's ready. And like just turned around and walked out. And it was just awkward. It was like, we still are like, that was awkward. That was real weird, you know? And it was awkward and it was just my dad. Like, how awkward is it gonna be if Jesus rolls in and is like, you know? He's like, you don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when the, he went away on a journey, he's coming back. We don't know exactly when. Jesus doesn't know when the Father is going to send him. Be alert, stay awake, and faithfully do your job because he's just warning us we're not going to want him to return and find us asleep. We're not going to want him to return and find us distracted. We're not going to want that. And so we want to be obedient. We want Jesus to return and us to be like, ready to go. Excited to see him. And so Jesus is telling us, he's telling them, he's telling us, hey, don't, don't obsess about the future. I'm coming back. I don't even know what day. That's not the main point, right? It's, there's going to be false teachers that try to lead you astray, okay? There's going to be persecution and tribulation. There's going to be things that point to it, but you don't need to worry about that. You just need to focus on today. Be alert. Keep your eyes on what is truth. Stay awake, right? Don't get distracted. Don't get sleepy. Don't throw in the towel and faithfully obey because when I return, you want me to find you doing that. That's what we want. 
And that's what he's encouraging us to do. And that's what, in this moment, you and I have the opportunity to do. I mean, you may have rolled in here half asleep spiritually. Maybe just knocked out cold spiritually. You may look back on on last weekend and been thinking, man, praise God that Jesus didn't come back Friday night because that would have been awkward. Praise God he didn't come back during this conversation because that would have been embarrassing. But now we have a time, a chance to move forward, to, to, to repent and continue to keep moving forward, be alert, stay awake, do your job. To glorify God, to build up his church because he is coming back. Could be today. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. Let's be honest, you don't know. No one knows. Jesus doesn't know. The focus of the commands that he gives us. Be alert. Stay awake. Faithfully endure and do your job. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.